Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gay Men Going Deeper. Today, I'm your host, Callan Brecken, and I have the amazing Robbie Couch with me. We're going to be talking about all things queer literature and representation, why it's important, why do we need to have queer representation in books, all that good stuff. So to introduce you a little bit to Robbie, he is the author of the young adult novel, The Sky Blue which is his first novel, as well as his forthcoming book, Blaine for the Win. He, his work has been published in HuffPost, Upworthy, and Omegazine, just to name a few. Now, let's dive in and just let Robbie tell you a bit about himself some more. So, hey, welcome to the show, Robbie. Hey. How's it going? It's going really, really well. I'm so stoked to be here, Callan. Thank you for having me. I am a huge fan of the podcast. As I was just mentioning before we started, I've I've clicked around in a few other episodes and y'all are doing some awesome stuff. So I'm I'm super honored to be on this episode. Thanks. Ah, awesome. Well, thank you. Well, I'm so happy to have you because gay books and literature and like queer reading is kind of my jam. I've made it like a promise to myself this year to mostly, if I can, only read like gay lead or queer representation books. So I've been going crazy. I have tons of them there's so many more than I would have ever thought um but that's why I was like I want to do this episode and so I found you and I found your books and it's like this guy let's do an interview with this guy (laughs) so tell us more about yourself how did you get started in writing young adult um you know queer based books and tell us a little bit about that story yeah well I think it goes back I I first sort of knew I wanted to be a writer and a storyteller all the way back in fourth grade. I remember I had a homework assignment where uh, we had to write a book and I'll, I'll put book in, in air quotes because, you know, I was what, 10. But um, and I really enjoyed the process of of coming up with the story. And it was kind of this this kind of crazy story about how the seaweed in my aunt's lake in Michigan, like pulled me down and killed me. And then it turned out to be just a nightmare I was having. But um, I love the project so much. I got an A on it. And I remember in my little 10 year old brain, something clicked where I realized, hey, this is something that I'm apparently not bad at. And I really enjoyed doing this. So that kind of kicked off um, a lot of the little writing projects that I did. I was always starting books and I never finished them. I probably started a hundred books in middle school and never got past like chapter one usually. But um, so I've always loved storytelling and writing. I went into journalism um, at first sort of thinking I wanted to go a bit more in the investigative journalism uh, down that path. But then the older I got, the more I realized that I really wanted to tell stories that I thought could really make an impact on communities that I cared about. And um, being queer myself, that kind of led me to to writing gay-centered stories. And yeah, I finally committed to, to writing The Sky Blues in my late 20s. Yeah, it was, it was 2016 when I started. So uh, yeah, it's been a, a, a bumpy but fun ro- uh, road to get here. And uh, yeah, second book comes out soon. So here I am. Wild. <laughs> Wild. Okay, so first I was going to say true crime podcast. If you had gone down that road... Like those are the biggest things in the world these days. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, But I'm very glad you stuck to your queer representation one. But you said, did you say 2016? And it's now 2021. And the Sky Blues just came out in April. 
last yeah. April in April. So that's been a journey. So yeah. I can only imagine that queer leading books isn't the easiest sale even now and like how did you navigate that world because obviously we need the representation in the world but is it still difficult to a get a book published but get a book published that is you know lgbtq plus inclusive yeah that's a really good question and back in well it was actually 2015 when i was first kind of swinging around with like actually committing to writing a queer book and a really 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 early version of the sky blues actually had a straight girl character and this the character that kind of evolved into sky baker was actually like her best friend and i had a conversation with a fellow author who's also queer and he just sort of asked me point blank, like, why don't you have a queer lead? Like, this is something that you care about. Um, we need more stories like this. Like, why, why aren't you doing that? And it, it actually made me stop and really think about um, that creative decision that I had made. And I think I was sort of scared to write a book that I had deemed, you know, not marketable or that it would turn publishers away to have a gay lead. Um, but I'm glad I decided not to do that and, and write a story that I actually wanted to write with a gay lead. Um, and we've really seen such big shifts kind of to answer your question, even in the past like five years or so, there's been a lot more hunger from both readers and publishers to respond to stories that really reflect the full experience of being human. And that of course includes more stories centering the LGBTQ experience. Um, so I think we've made really big steps forward. I, I do feel like we're still at a place where the sorts of queer stories that tend to get published more can kind of be uh, categorized into a smaller niche group. They're sometimes overly sanitized or um, overly white and cisgender, right? So we still need a lot of more stories reflecting what it's like to be trans, what it's like to be a person of color, BIPOC in the queer community. So I think we have a ways to go in truly being inclusive across the queer spectrum and, and telling all different kinds of stories. But we've definitely made big steps forward, I would say in the past few years, for sure. Nice. So in saying that and getting your story to the finish line, what was kind of the hardest part about doing that? Was it the fact that you wanted to go the traditional publishing route? Because I believe you were published with Simon and Schuster, if yeah. I'm correct, which is amazing because that's a real publishing house. Um, <laughs> because so many of the books that I have read have been self-published. And I know that it is much easier to self-publish these days. People don't look at it like they used to. It used to be very studi, like, oh, self-published, sure, Jan. Um, but yeah. now it's, you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, sure, as long as it's a good book. And a lot of the um, queer-based books that I read are self-published. So how was that road going down to get like traditionally published and why did you choose to do that? Go down that road yeah. instead of self-publish? For sure, yeah. And to your point, yeah, a lot of books nowadays are self-published and it's great to see because I, I love the idea of authors really being able to have full creative control over their work and being able to, you know, every I is dotted and every T is crossed like the way they want it. And I think that's a really empowering, great thing about self-publishing. Um, there's obviously a lot of perks to working with the publisher, just the access to the market, um, having a team behind you with helping with publicity and all of editing. And, and so there's, of course, many advantages to going the more conventional route. But I think especially with so many more ways of telling stories and with audiobooks and 
streaming services and like all of these expansive ways to tell stories, I think the book industry has also been one to kind of reflect changes where there's, yeah, a lot more people um, going the self-publishing route, which is great. Um, for me, I think I wanted to try to go the more conventional route at first. And then I probably spent, I want to say like six to nine months in total of going through the process of, um, and I don't know how familiar you are with the, the nuts and bolts of the process, but like you submit to agents first, typically kind of the conventional way you want representation through like a literary agency. Um, and you have to write query letters, kind of pitching your book. And then if a publisher is interested, then you have to write a full synopsis and, and submit the manuscript. So there's definitely lots of steps to the whole process. And it can be really discouraging to hear no a million times, which I absolutely did. I think and if anyone at home is listening and wants to be a writer, know that you're going to hear a lot of no's, but that's okay. Even the best writers hear a ton of no's. Um, and I think for me, at some point, I would have maybe navigated or, or wanted to take the next step into potentially going the self-publishing route. But fortunately, um, within those first few months, there was interest and I got an agent and uh, she's been wonderful. Mo, shout out to Mo if you're listening. And, uh, and then it worked out with Simon and Schuster. So um, it, didn't, it didn't get to a point where I, I was thinking about self-publishing, but if it had, I think that could have also been a, a great option for the Sky Blues too. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's, I'm just, I'm so happy that it actually got there because like you were saying, like I was nodding my head yes along because like I'm writing, like I'm just putting the finishing touches on a book proposal for myself for like, oh, yay. Uh, like nonfiction. It's like self-help and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it's a very different. You do the proposals it, all that's very different. You have to have a manuscript for yourself for writing, um, you know, fiction. They kind of want to see what the whole story is going to be, whereas nonfiction is they're like, we want to know what it is so that we can then help you work towards it. So it's different, but same, same. Like it's a yeah. hundred million no's, all the things. You're kind of like, please, somebody. Yeah. Um, so Congrats. yeah. That's really exciting though. You're in the, you said you're in the final stages of the proposal writing the proposal okay, yeah, okay. yeah yeah that that in and of That's itself is though. one thing but yeah um so anyways moving yes. into more of this so thanks mo for taking a chance on you how did you manage <laughs> yes. to find mo because i know that that's kind of the first step in putting together your you know you send them your book proposal and like your query letters and all this and be like pick me so yeah. how did that go because you're trying to obviously pitch you know queer books being like hey girl hey yeah exactly yeah no it's i i guess my piece of advice and something that i heard from other authors who had gotten published that told me this same thing when you're looking for agents to pitch the more specific and niche they are aligned with what with what you have in mind for your book the better so for me i was of course looking for agents who wanted to represent ya of course but then beyond that um, agents that very specifically said, like, I want diverse stories, I want queer stories. Um, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, like in the past few years, there has been such a big um, push for diverse stories. So I was able to, you know, I had my spreadsheet open and had all the names of different agents that I was interested in working with. Um, and yeah, it, I think overall the process was three to four months of, of reaching out to different agents, maybe a little bit shorter than that. Um, before things worked out with Mo. But um, yeah, I would just recommend to like look as specific and granular as you can um, when it comes to agents in terms of what they're looking for and if they would be a good fit for you. Because um, it's not just 
you know, am I going to find an agent? You should be asking yourself, like, does this agent, is this an agent I actually want to work with? Is this someone who I can really see as a good partner who, who gets me, who gets the stories I want to tell? Um, and so I think it's important for artists and, and writers to really ask them, ask themselves that question uh, as well. And yeah, it's worked out great with Mo. Nice. And this is leading into the next part, because obviously as an author now, maybe not all of your books are going to be queer based, but I can only imagine a lot of your books are going to be queer based books. And so you obviously want to find um, an agent who wanted to go on that journey with you, who wanted to take those stories to the large publishing publishing houses and then have them go out into the world so that more people could see them. So how was that working on that journey together being like, are they going to pick me? Oh, I mean, you said now people are looking for that. So the market is opening up a little bit more. Do you think you kind of just hit at that sweet spot where it's like the world's kind of ready for it? And they're like, you, we're going to pick you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't flatter myself that much, but um, I, I do feel like, yeah, there's been a, a, a big shift in what sorts of stories uh, um, are being told and have access to a larger market. I do think especially in the YA space, there's been even more of a push just because we know that Gen Z and younger readers are just more open to uh, LGBTQ people. They kind of approach LGBTQ issues in different ways than even my generation. I'm 32 now. Um, and so I think- Still younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Um, so I do think that that is a reflection of the actual reader base, right? Because there are kind of a more open-minded generation already. It's, um, it makes more sense that publishers would be willing to kind of uh, work with authors and work with stories that um, maybe they wouldn't try to, you know, sell to 65 plus year olds, but for high schoolers, it, it works well. So um, yeah, I, I think it, it was definitely a conversation that I had with my agent and wanting to make sure that the story still stayed true to its queer roots and Sky's identity as a gay kid is so important to the story and the and and his experiences and I didn't want to lose that in the process and Mo um, was such a good partner to have because we were completely on the same page in that way and we wanted to find a publisher that really wanted to celebrate the queerness of the story as opposed to try to sanitize it or work it in a way that, you know, straight people could appreciate more, right? Which I do think straight people can, can like the sky blues, of course. Um, but we wanted to make sure that the, the queerness of the story was really still present. And I think we did that. So I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. And you obviously did because you have a second book coming out as well, which is Blaine for the Win. So is this also a Simon & Schuster book? It is. Yep. This one is also Simon & Schuster. And I have uh, a third book that I just submitted last week or two weeks ago that I'm also really excited about that is also working with Simon & Schuster. So they've been a really great uh, publishing partner for sure. So the ball is rolling and you are doing it for the queers out there, getting those stories out there for those young, uh, young readers, which is so great. I'm, I'm really grateful, um, you know, being the age we are now. I didn't have these, we didn't have these books, you know, growing up specifically kind of like the fantasy or like, you know, those kinds of books where you're like, oh, I could lose myself in this. It was, they just didn't exist. So now that they are starting to exist, not just in the self-published world, but also in the, you know, 
the publishing, the big publishing houses world, that makes me as a consumer so happy and so excited for all of these forthcoming books um, to be bringing yeah. out into the world. So obviously you're sticking with queer themes because I'm, I know Blaine for the win is also. What kind of stories have you thrown out into these books that you see yourself in? Like maybe for, let's talk about the sky blues. That obviously was such a journey from starting it till now. And now it seems like things are speeding up. So you obviously are starting to put those stories out a little bit more. What, like, what was it in those, like so many years of writing the sky blues that it finally came together and what part of you is in that story? Well, that's a good question. I, I've sort of described the sky blues as a little bit autobiographical-ish because his story isn't, I'm, I'm not Sky Baker and we're, we're very different uh, in many ways and our experiences were very different, but the world around him that really informed um, his experiences in high school, I really drew from my own experiences. I grew up in a rural small town in the Rust Belt in Michigan. Um, Sky is sort of in a really similar uh, situation, although he's from, Northern Michigan and I grew up like an hour and a half north of Detroit so slightly different areas of the state but um, so I definitely relied on my own upbringing in that area to kind of inform the sorts of characters he would run into the attitudes people might have um, finding allyship in really surprising places that was a part of my experience growing up in a small town where sometimes it felt like no one understood you and no one would have your back. And then you would have people kind of pop up in surprising, wonderful ways as allies. Um, Even though I wasn't out in high school, I could still recognize that in various teachers or people in the community or coaches. And that was really cool. And and if you read The Sky Blues, you'll notice that that's sort of a theme of the book as well. It kind of shows both the very dark sides of small town America, but also the really beautiful, amazing Um, affirming sides of small town America. So um, there's lots of themes that kind of got built up from my own experiences, but Sky, the character is is certainly different than me. So um, I wouldn't call it an autobiography, you know what I'm trying to say, (laughs) but- uh, Autobiography. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I'm on like flu medication right now. So I'm just gonna blame it on that. Yes, but, for um, all the listeners, we discussed this beforehand. <laughs> you were like, if I start dying in the middle of the interview, I apologize. <laughs> yes, that's it. Um, but it definitely is is reflective of my experiences grow- growing up in Michigan, for sure. So yeah. Nice. Do you have a lot of like young people or even adults reaching out to you know, and being like, oh my goodness, like I read this, like this is amazing or this changed my life or like secretly coming out and are you starting to get those stories now? Yeah, it is so cute. And I like, uh, I should, I shouldn't say cute. That sounds sort of infantilizing. It's, it's awesome. It's so, so cool. And whenever I get a message on like Instagram or someone DMing me on Twitter, sort of saying they read the book, especially if it's a a queer teen and especially if they're from Michigan, I've had a, a number of young queer people from Michigan reach out to me. And that especially like tugs at the heartstrings for sure. Um, especially, you know, I've gotten messages about this is the first time that they've seen their own experiences reflected back in a book. And that's really why I wanted to write this guy blues was to have a book that queer kids across the country, across the world could look to and and sort of see themselves in in the story and in some ways, big or small. So getting those sorts of responses from readers, especially younger readers is way, way cool. 
that makes me feel so good i'm like (laughs) doing it for the younger generations it makes me feel like they like we are making progress as wild as the world can get um that like there is progress being made and things are shifting and changing and i'm in the firm like firm belief that like everything happens kind of one percent at a time like one generation changes one thing, another generation changes another. We are kind of speeding things up now with technology and all that. Things are quickly changing. Um, but it's nice to see that like big publishing houses are, you know, starting to be more open to inclusion and diversity in the literature because <laughs> we need it. <laughs> yeah. So but I think it's also because I know you mentioned earlier, like you making kind of a concerted effort to read queer stories. I think that's so smart and and really important for listeners to also maybe consider doing the same because the market responds to what people are buying and what they're responding to. So uh, if more queer people and of course straight people as well uh want want more of these stories like you got to buy them you have to get out there and make sure you're supporting these writers and artists so that the industry knows that there's a readership base out there and and we've seen that happen with a number of big bestsellers that have super queer themes so yeah the the industry is changing the world is changing but yeah we gotta put our money where our mouths are and keep supporting queer artists for sure oh 100 it's like when you go on amazon a literary house is going to see if that book or that series is getting hundreds, if not thousands of stars and likes. And they're like a self-published, like one of my favorite mm-hmm. series. And the last book just came out. I've not finished it yet is the Soulbound series by uh, Haley Turner. And it's like, Oh my God, it's just, it gets me in all the feels. It's so good. It's not young adult. Cause there's definitely like sex scenes in there. So if people are listening, mm-hmm. they want a little bit more hot and spicy. Um, <laughs> definitely has that, but like seeing her success, like she just had a giant launch party and she's so niche and doesn't have a giant Facebook group, but like the support in that group is wild. It's so wild how people oh are like gosh. flocking to it and thrive, like they're thriving. So it's like, we do have to support like all these, you know, authors, because if we want to see more of this, we need to tell the world like, hey, we want to see this. We like this. Give, yeah. Give them a chance. Yeah. Um, and that's so awesome to know that she's had that success. I think that really goes to show you that if you can tell a good story, even if you keep running into different walls and bottlenecks, it's there's ways to get it out there. And I think now more than ever, folks have access to lots of different digital tools to get their story in front of people. So don't be discouraged if you're a writer out there kind of going going through some some tough times because there's ways to get your story out there. And there's, um, yeah, sometimes it's not the most conventional route, but you can find the people who want to support you. Oh, totally. I know people who have like a Patreon and they release like a chapter a month and then the mm-hmm. readers support them through that. It's there's tons of options. Yes. But I want to dive in a little bit more because obviously there was such a gap between you starting the Sky Blues and actually it getting published. And in in traditional publishing, we know it does take a year, two years to from like getting the contract to like things happening. But I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what helps you stay committed and to commit to following through on the project finally because you know we do do all the personal development stuff on this podcast so diving a little bit more into that area of things what actually helps you push through or helps you actually finish and commit to finishing your first novel because now it's kind of like a snowball effect the first one's done and now it's kind of like continuing on faster but it's always the first one that's the hardest so tell us more about that story 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wrote The Sky Blues, as mentioned earlier, I started in 2016 and I wrote it over the course of the next three-ish years, which is now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was so wonderful to have that <laughs> that much time to, to really make the book what I wanted. Um, and with Blaine for the Win, I love this book so much and I'm so excited to get it out there. But I wrote it in eight weeks or so, like a far, far, far shorter window of time. Um, and I think part of it for me, uh, and, and it was kind of a similar-ish timeframe for book three that I just finished as well. And for me, I've gotten more um, efficient as a writer in knowing how I tick and what sorts of, I don't want to label it productivity hacks, but I guess you could productivity hacks, like the ways that my mind works, the ways that I'm most productive. And I try to sort of adhere to those things. I'm a really big outliner. Um, I spend probably just as much time really like granularly uh, going through and outlining the book as I do actually writing the book, which sounds a little nuts, but I've found that if I have a really, really clean, specific, detailed outline of not just like the plot structure of the story, but like the emotional beats and the character arcs, um, it makes actually writing it so much faster and the whole process much more efficient. So there's things like that that I've kind of picked up along the way to make sure that I'm giving myself the best, um, the best chance of, of telling a great story. Um, and I've also had to learn that like there's, there's never going to be the absolute perfect story. There's always ways to improve it or things to think through um, to, you know, fix things that don't feel completely right. But at some point you just have to move forward and, and, and get it out there and, and work on it. And I think sometimes, especially with artistic people, we can kind of uh, have very, very, very high standards for ourselves, which we should, but hopefully it doesn't prevent you from ever actually putting in the work and, and getting it done. So that's been a lesson that I've had to kind of teach myself through this process as well. Oh yeah. We've, we've actually had podcast episodes about perfectionism and how mm -hmm. it can hinder you so much from actually making progress in your life. Cause you're so focused on getting it perfect that you're not, not actually putting anything out there. And they're like, the only way you can prove yourself is if you put something out there and yes, you're going to get critique back, but you will have done it. And then you can learn from the critique and that'll help you move forward as opposed to being like, no, it's going to be perfect, but like nobody's seeing it. So nothing's <laughs> right. happening with it. What were the biggest factors in driving that, driving you to the finish line of being like, I'm actually going to do it this time? Oh, that's a good question. I'm, yeah, let me, let me put myself in the shoes of, of 2019, Robbie. I think I, I knew how much time and effort, like blood, sweat and tears I put into the book um, in, 2019, in 2019, when I finally could see the finish line in front of me. And I kind of made a commitment just thinking, you know, I, I really poured myself into this creative project for so long. I really loved how the story was coming together. And I guess I just didn't want to think about it as a waste. I didn't want to just finish it and then let it sit in my drafts folder for years and be too scared to start sending it out to agents. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was just sort of getting to the point of talking myself up enough to to go, okay, it's, it's ready to get out there. And um, I was terrified to show anyone because I think even though I had, you know, I have bylines for a lot of big websites where millions of people have read my work that sounded like I'm bragging, but um, 
but with this, it felt so much more vulnerable to have a piece of fiction that I have really, that was so personal to me that I spent so long on, um, that it, it was really scary kind of overcoming that hump and getting to the point where I could get it out there into the world and start submitting it to agents. But um, I'm glad I committed to doing that and, and really following through because I didn't want to see the, that those three years of work kind of be wasted. So, yeah. Nice. Awesome. You actually just like something just came to mind as you were talking about all that other stuff of like how, cause with all the success, there's going to also come haters, right? Mm -hmm. So how have you experienced that? Have there been any, and if there have, how do you navigate that kind of experience? Yeah. Well, I, that's a good question. I think with, with any sort of like artistic endeavor, you're always, of course, going to have people who don't like your work for whatever reason. And I think criticism is a totally healthy part of being a writer and, and kind of being open to criticism when it's in good faith. Um, but there's such a huge difference between someone, you know, maybe disagreeing on a creative level with some of your choices and then someone just being really mean spirited about the way that they're attacking your work. Um, especially if you're a marginalized person and, you know, they start kind of, they maybe are saying racist things or homophobic things or transphobic things. I think that kind of takes us to another place where you really have to protect yourself from those sorts of comments. Um, so fortunately, the Sky Blues has been pretty well received and the overwhelming majority of the feedback that I've gotten um, from book people and readers has, have been positive. So I'm really lucky in that sense. Um, I definitely have had people tag me in bad reviews of the book. And I'm like, you don't really need to tag me in this, do you? <laughs> um, so, but that is a thing that happens sometimes. Um, so that has happened. I kind of avoid comment sections in general. Like I, it's so funny and, and cute. My dad, who's been such a big supporter of, of this whole process, he'll like have these daily checks on Amazon to be like, all right, you got, you got this review and you're up to this many stars and you're at this ranking. And I'm like, dad, I need, I need to like remove myself from this a little bit, but he's really excited for me, but he'll, he'll even tell me about comments and stuff that he reads. And although it's, nice. I try to kind of have a little bit of a boundary between myself and, and reading and reading too many comments because yeah, you can, it can kind of fuel those negative voices in your head um, if you read too many mean ones. And I think I'm like a lot of people where I could read 10 glowing reviews of the sky blues and then forget about all of them, but it's the one negative review that sticks with me for like weeks. So um, knowing that about myself, I also have to kind of put some self-care boundaries on how I engage with different platforms. But um, I'm, yeah, I'm fortunate enough that the vast, vast majority of the feedback that I've gotten has been positive, which is so cool. Nice. That's good. Do you have like yeah. a mantra when you do come across those negative ones that you're like, ah, okay, just remember the mantra? <laughs> I wish. I, I, yeah, I should probably get one. I think my my mantra is just clicking out of the tab as quickly as possible and trying to forget about it. <laughs> it's not there. Right. It pretending it's not there. Or like a mean tweet, just like block, done. Right, exactly. Yeah. Don't need you in my life anymore. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, I love that. And I also love that your dad is so cute and it's just like, hey, you got this reviewed. Oh, you got this reviewed. You have this many stars. Yeah, it really is. It's been so awesome to see my parents like fired up and, and my sister has been such a huge supporter. Like her, she has a book club back in Michigan and 
all of her neighbors read the book. And the last time I was home, I was like signing copies. Like they, they've just been the best, biggest cheerleaders for me. And I, I know a lot of authors, especially queer authors, don't have that sort of family support. So I'm truly, truly lucky in that way. That's amazing. Did you, were you able, because obviously the book came out, but then it was like COVID land. Were you able to have yeah. some sort of book launch or like how did that look for you and navigating that new world and being like can we have a book launch can we do in-person signings like yeah and and what was the first time like actually seeing your book on a shelf where it wasn't at like a book signing or a party and you're just like oh my god I wrote that (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh my gosh the first time I saw the sky blues out in the real world was a very very surreal surreal moment and especially kind of like you mentioned when it's not at a book event for me or anything like that it's just kind of just existing out in the real world was was very cool um yeah for it was very strange launching a book in the middle of covid because especially with it being my debut i have nothing i had no normal to compare it to i was just i was just experiencing all of it for the first time so for blame for the win hopefully knock on wood we will have some more in-person events and be able to do some actual in the real world things where I'll actually be able to engage readers. But yeah, 99% of all the promotion and events that went into the sky blues uh, was virtual, which definitely had its own pros. You know, the fact that it's on zoom, anyone can attend. And so there was certainly aspects of it that were positive, but it definitely sucked not to be able to interact with readers face to face. I did have one event in Michigan uh, in in May that we were able to mask up and um, go into the bookstore, and I actually got to interact with people. And it was so funny because I would be on Zoom events with like a hundred readers, and I wouldn't be too nervous because everyone was just like a a speck on my screen. And that I was in a bookstore with like. 20 people and it was terrifying to be like speaking in front of a crowd and like having to read from the book in in like a real bookstore um so that's something I'm gonna have to get used to but um but yeah no it was definitely a weird time I mean the whole world has just been so weird the past two years I think launching a book was just another thing that felt very surreal amid like a global pandemic you're like this is weird but the past couple years has been weird so whatever let's just (laughs) go with it everything's weird have you had any young kids at like any in-person events that have come up and been like I read this book and this is life-changing to me yeah oh my gosh at the well yeah it was at the event that I was just mentioning back in Michigan there was a um GSA group from a local high school uh gay straight alliance group that came out and I think there was 10 or so students and they all had copies and a few of them were really excited to talk to me and it was a very a very surreal moment to engage with readers in that way. And um, it's it's so strange to have these characters live only in your brain. And you feel like they're, you feel a little bit crazy having to come up with like, you know, a full human being that doesn't really exist. And you kind of like fall in love with these characters that only exist in to you. And then to be able to share them with the world and have other readers come up and talk to me about how Brie was their favorite character or they love that scene with Marshall and so-and-so. It's just the coolest feeling in the world to be able to have that shared experience around characters that meant so much both to you, but also to readers. It's truly a gift that is like unparalleled. So um, yeah, I, I had a few of those moments and hopefully, hopefully more to come. 
So yes, yeah. yes, please, lots more. That's why we're doing this because I want <laughs> more people to read queer literature and support all the uh, amazing book writers. So let's dive into that a little bit more about you know Simon Simon and Schuster obviously are doing their part to kind of like up the ante on their representation. Are you seeing more of a turn? Are you seeing more? publishing houses actually bringing out books that you're like oh hey this isn't just like a gay best friend in the book this is like the lead and his like boyfriend are in the book are you starting to see yeah. those tides shifting and as like somebody who's maybe on inside or you get more of that knowledge as to like what books are out and about in the world for sure yeah I, I've definitely seen many steps forward where especially in the way that they are presented to the public and the way they're marketed they're not necessarily these you know really kind of low budget books for a, a really small niche audience they're going they're being published by big publishers and and accessible to mainstream audiences which I think is wonderful um and again, I think because young adults, the young adult uh, demographic, which is, you know, teenagers and folks in there, a lot of folks who are not teenagers read young adult as well, of course, but having teenagers kind of be the, <laughs> exactly, yes, uh, and myself too. Um, but having a younger reader base, I think being way more accepting of, of queer people in general, I think gives publishers more of an incentive to tell those sorts of stories. Um, and so I've, I've definitely seen a shift. And I think especially in the past year or two, so even more recently, there's been a, a bigger push to um, not just tell queer stories, but um, kind of more intersectional stories of, you know, what it's like to be a Black queer man or to be trans and, um, and BIPOC, right? So stories that kind of highlight intersectional identities in ways that we haven't seen before. I, I think we've seen uh, publishers try to tell more of those sorts of stories too. And there's a few authors doing great work in those spaces. So yeah, I think it's a really exciting time to, to tell stories that aren't getting told. And if you're listening at home thinking like, yeah, no one has ever told this, you know, specific perspective of what it's like to be me or, or my identity. You should be the person to tell that story. You should go write that book. So I think we are living at a time when the world is changing in, in really sometimes scary, but also really beautiful ways. And I think we are becoming more inclusive. So uh, the stories we're telling and the books that are getting bought kind of reflect that. Nice. Good. Well, it definitely sounds like you know, being gay and being part of the queer community definitely helped your book come into the world. But I'm curious, what was the biggest roadblock in getting this book published? Your first one, mm. like the biggest, what was the biggest thing that you're like, Ugh. yeah, oh my gosh, I would say, oh man, that's tough. Because there's so, there's so many roadblocks. There's so many <laughs> aspects that make Boy, it. What just one, all of it. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it, it was so daunting. And I know other authors kind of have a similar experience. It can be really daunting, like writing those initial like query letters because you're writing agents that uh, have so many of them have so many submissions coming to them every week. And if you can't really catch their attention in the first few seconds of them reading your email, it's so easy for them to click through and go to the next manuscript or the next author. And so I felt a lot of pressure to really make my query letter shine and sparkle and to really um, to be hitting agents like that. I know are really interested in this sort of story I was being told. So that was a very like high, high pressure few months for me in, in crafting my query letter and tweaking it. And 
um, trying to make sure that it was uh, as best as I can make it. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of a lot of bottlenecks, and and it's also hard once you kind of get into the revision stage. Um, working with an editor and my, my editor, Amanda Ramirez at Simon & Schuster is amazing and I tr would trust her with my life, but it's always hard to get revisions on a, on a piece of work that you've been working on for so long and to, to see, you know, where they maybe want to change things here or there. Um, so that sort of can be a difficult pill to swallow sometimes to kind of see the different creative ways that the story can get told. But I think having worked with her, I'm so happy I did because the ways that we were able to mesh our visions for the book together, I think made it that much better. And I'm, I'm so happy with how it turned out in the end. So uh, yeah, there was lots of, lots of pain points, but here I am, <laughs> I made it. Nice, and they inevitably became your growing points as well, right? For sure, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, at the beginning of those query letters, you used to write, I'm a gay, just work with yeah. me. And then it evolved into a little bit more of a zhuzh. <laughs> yeah, I, the first query letter was just like memes and gifs, and then it slowly evolved. <laughs> just slowly. Well, I've seen your Twitter, so I can only imagine that that's what it was. You're like, <laughs> just submitting your Twitter page. You're just like, this is my book. Here you go. Yeah. Take it. Not Amazing. I Not love it. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about... Um, obviously gays, queers, all of that in books. Now to wrap things up in a nice little bow, I want to talk about some of your favorite, not to put pressure on, but do you have some favorite books or book series that are LGBTQ plus inclusive um, that you want to give shout outs to and let people know? Because if we're going to promote people reading, you know, queer books, yeah. you should give them some directions to go in. For sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many. I would say um, Julian Winters is one of my favorite YA authors. Um, Running with Lions is one, I forget if that's his first book or one of his first books, but he has a handful of books out. Um, so definitely check out Julian Winters. Um, Jason June just wrote such a, a cute YA uh, novel, uh, Jay's Gay Agenda that I highly recommend. It's, it's super queer and also very sex positive, which is something that having a queer sex positive Y book is something that we definitely need more of. So if that's up uh, anyone's particular alley, I would definitely check out. Uh, How do you navigate that? Because I was thinking about that because the books that I'm about to suggest, some of them are not young adults. <laughs> some of yeah. them are very adult. How, do, how does a young adult author like yourself navigate wanting to have sex positiveness in it and maybe even a sex scene but still have it be classified as a YA book yeah it's very um I think it's tricky and you have to approach it very sensitively and that's especially why I'm so thankful to have a team of editors who can who I can bounce ideas off of and kind of work with on on these sorts of um maybe tougher scenes to tell but I do think that I mean look teenagers are having sex <laughs> they are having thoughts about potentially having sex so i think that any queer story or any story that reflects reality is something that people should be striving towards so i don't think we should be trying to shy away from that reality of of the experiences of being a teenager but i think you do have to approach it in a way that feels um sensitive to the age and you know, it's it's really easy to have it kind of, uh, especially if you're trying to make it a really romantic, char sexually charged scene. It can it can be easy to kind of let that um, 
devolve into something you're not meaning for it to come across as. So I don't think there's a, a specific one way to do it, but just, um, yeah, handling it with care and making sure that the messaging that's sort of baked into that scene uh, is something that you also want to be cognizant of, like thinking about consent and thinking about the way bodies are being portrayed. Uh, you know, those are all questions you kind of have to ask yourself as a storyteller. Um, and, but yeah, I, I think sex positivity is something that we need more of in YA, which is why I was so excited for Jason June's book, because uh, it, Jay's gay agenda is, is certainly one that fits the, fits the bill. Um, but yeah, so, and there's, there's other, plenty of other nice. authors I could speak about too. Yeah, yeah, I just got, I just sidetracked you. So let's keep going. A couple more. Let's oh, get yeah. like a couple more authors out there. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah. Um, Leah Johnson is like wonderful. Um, you Should See Me in the Crown was the first, I believe, um, like, people should fact check me on this, but I believe it was the first young adult book that was highlighted in Reese Witherspoon's book club, um, which was awesome. I was so happy to see that for uh, Leah Johnson, but beyond um, You Should See Me in the Crown, she has a number of other books that have been published and are getting published soon. Um, Becky Albertalli, who's the author of uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, she has many books out that are kind of in the queer um, genre of YA books, and they're all amazing. I'm a huge fan of hers. Adam Silvera is someone I'm lucky enough to call a friend, and he's written so many wonderful books in the queer YA space, um, especially elevating um, queer kids of color. They are always centered in his in his work as well. So yeah, the, there's so many good options for people to, to discover books that are reflective of, of the queer experience uh, yes. nowadays, which is great. Nice. Yes. And one of the one of those younger books that I've read, most of the ones that I read are kind of ad adult ones because that's just that's me. I need more saucy in there. But yeah. one of the ones that I did read is uh, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the yes. Universe by Benjamin Alir Sazen. I don't know how yeah. I'm saying that correctly, <laughs> but that was like that was a great book, but not until I got to the end. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but like the whole book drove me absolutely fucking crazy until I got to the end I was just like huh that <clears throat> snuck up on me <laughs> like yeah 100% yes I should have recommended that book as well which is also Simon Schuster but yeah. um yeah it won a ton of awards too for sure and it, yeah. in my book truly uh deserved it I think it yeah he's an amazing storyteller and that was such a beautiful book so yeah. and the uh, second one yeah. just came out because it just got delivered to my kindle like yesterday <laughs> yes i know i have a i have a copy of it somewhere in my room that i have not opened yet but i'm so excited once i can finally get to get to that book on my on my list yeah, yeah. right i know reading is so crazy um a couple <laughs> other ones if you look if somebody's listening and re i wants to read more adult ones um the soulbound series like i said by Haley turner is one of my favorite series there is like you know fun sexual things in there but it's mostly story-based um her other series though metahuman can go on for chapters and chapters and chapters of just like a great sex scene so it's like if you're looking for like real yes. intense like military and sex scene and like in the future oh. very futuristic metahuman by Haley turner is very good i really like the magpie lord um by kj charles that one was really good. It's like old British days. You know, they can't be gay, but they are. And some magic mixed up in there. I love magic. Ooh, um, nice. Forsaken Fae by R.A. Stefan. I enjoyed that one. 
not my top tier, but definitely an enjoyable story. There's like a douchey, you know, the douchey douchebag character that you're like, oh, but then you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's just the right, right. And he's really a softy secretly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and then I love it. And then my probably last one on the list is The Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk. And there's like, I think like 14 of those. And that's very like olden day British or no, olden day US, um, like Boston y kind of like, really good like stories of like mystery so it's oh, like mystery cool. stories so they're like solving like mystery stories and it's a bit sci-fi but like very much a great storytelling with like a sex scene or two here and there so yeah. those would be my personal suggestions on that list and if you want any of nice. those i can send them over to you <laughs> yeah i was about to say well now i have to listen to this episode even though i hear i hate hearing myself talk just because i need to remember all the all the recommendations you had so i have yeah, the, i can i can literally just message them over to you i have a list i'll just say <laughs> okay. like, here you go here's the books <laughs> That works too. That works too. Well, Robbie, it has been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. I'm so grateful to have you here and be able to talk about something that I'm really passionate about, something I'm really excited about, um, just because I'm a giant nerd. I love reading. Although I didn't start until I was like 27, 28 is when I really started to read. So I was kind of a late bloomer, but now it's like hours and hours before bed and it's like 2 a.m. I'm like, must read one more chapter. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a good lesson too. I think a lot of us like hated reading the classics in like high school literate in our high school English classes. And then we think we're not into reading, but a lot of times just because we haven't found the sorts of stories that resonate with us. So no matter how old you are, you can still get into reading. <laughs> oh, 110%. Yes. Um, so in saying that, where can people find you if maybe they want to read your book or they want to follow you? Where's all that good stuff? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter primarily. I'm just at Robbie Couch or on Twitter. There's a there's a uh, a what do you call it? underscore or whatever between my first and last name. But you should be able to find me if you Google Robbie Couch. Um, and yeah, and I'm all over the internet. So if you search for you know Robbie Couch, the Sky Blues, um, or Blaine for the Win. You'll be able to find some pre-order links. They're also in my bios on Twitter and Instagram as well. So um, yeah, come say hi. And I would love to see you on Instagram or Twitter. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Robbie. Um, Have the best day ever, everybody. Peace, love, rainbows. And we will catch you next time. Yay. Thank you so much.